Kyle, thanks so much for joining Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we welcome Chase Glenn, who is the Director of LGBTQ Plus Health Services and Enterprise Resources at the Medical University of South Carolina. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. So you were telling us that this is a really new role. So what are you tackling? You're now at MUSC. What, what are you working on? Yeah, brand new role at MUSC. Um, and so feel so grateful and lucky to be the first person in this, in this position. The role is enterprise-wide, meaning that you know, my work is not just the hospital, uh, but it's also the, the university. And then also, you know, our rural health network, which includes, you know, facilities across the state. Um, so I'm interacting and engaging with work with our employees, as well as students, as well as patients and clinicians. Um, and uh, it's a, not a big job at all. Um, <laughs> but and I'm and I'm just almost two months in. So I'm very new to the role, but excited to be here. What are some of the challenges or the top priorities that you're working on that, you know, are the glaring things that you want to make sure you're tackling? So, you know, when I'm looking at the work, there's a lot, honestly, that we need to, to do to bring ourselves up to the level of care that we want to provide to all patients. Um, and, you know, the Human Rights Campaign, HRC, um, every other year they put out their Health Equality Index. And this index is a report basically on healthcare facilities. They can apply to participate in the index, and then they are scored based on 57 criteria. And those criteria cover lots of different things, but includes non-discrimination policies for patients and employees, um, talks about patient services, talks about um, you know, employee support and community engagement, a lot of different topics. Um, and, you know, within that, that really does provide a natural framework for some of our strategic plan for the next probably five years, I would say, to really look at and identify, you know, where we are hitting the mark and we're doing well, and then where we aren't doing well yet. And so, you know, and I'd be clear that that um, index is not, we're not, you know, really focused on some designation and getting a score. But it, again, it provides a framework for our work and, and looking at how we can you know, raise, raise the bar. Do you find the 57, I think, metrics you mentioned, do you find them meaningful to the work? From your perspective, the, the equality you're trying to drive, are all those uh, contributing to that? Absolutely. So we start with kind of just really foundational things like training. <laughs> and are you providing training to your employees, especially your patient interfacing employees who are having these interactions with LGBTQ folks every day, whether they know it or not? And are they being culturally sensitive in those in those situations? Um, you know, and then looking at non-discrimination policies making sure we're really intentional about including sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression within these non-discrimination policies, both for employees and patients. Um, so this, that's really foundational. But then you go from there and you look at patient care. Um, you know, are we giving patients the opportunity to self-identify as LGBTQ? Are we capturing that sexual orientation, gender identity data and documenting it, not just having a conversation about documenting it within our health records. It's really key. Again, I mean, sort of foundational in a lot of ways to 
uh, making sure that we're just having these really entry level conversations and sort of setting the stage for maybe some of the unique needs and challenges that a patient might be facing. Um, so, you know, there's a number of things around that sort of interaction and, and making sure we're documenting. Um, and then, you know, looking at, you know, visibility within the community. You know, a lot of institutions aren't necessarily intentionally marketing themselves to the community. And so we can do a lot of really good work to make ourselves good, to bring ourselves up to the level where we need to be. But if the community doesn't know about it, what good is that, right? So being really intentional in our communications and putting ourselves out there, being more visible out in the community and communicating the change that we're making here, I think is going to go a long way. So we're, you know, there's a lot of different metrics there, a lot of different ways to sort of mark and say, yeah, we're, we're getting there, we're doing this, we're doing better. Um, and, you know, that, that's just a few things that are on the list. Those are things that if you're in the LGBTQ plus community, you probably realize why those are important or why they matter. What are some of those reasons that people who may not be familiar with that, why is it important that you do address that in healthcare? Because it doesn't, you know, it's not something like, are your lungs functioning? Are, is your heart functioning? Why is it important to know that information and be sensitive to addressing that in a different way? There are potential implications that go beyond just maybe what people think traditionally as LGBTQ specific issues. So I'm transgender and I didn't say that uh, at the beginning, but I'm a trans man. And so I am on hormone replacement therapy and I take testosterone, give myself an injection every two weeks. Well, there are implications, health implications that go beyond just being transgender when you are taking testosterone, you know, increased risks of high blood pressure, um, you know, so I need to get blood work every six months to have, you know, be able to check on that, uh, looking at, you know, cholesterol that, that is more directly related to, to blood work, um, you know, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of, you know, extensive research around trans healthcare and, and sort of the, you know, the needs of the community and sort of implications to those sorts of interventions. But, you know, these conversations are, you know, someone needs to know that, like another example, and I am just, putting this out here, I'm very open about my personal experience. Um, I know that my personal experience within healthcare settings has impacted me. I've been able to, you know, advocate for myself because I kind of see myself as a professional advocate, but not all people have that. So, but I've had negative experiences and, you know, as a, as a trans person who hasn't had surgery uh, yet to remove uh, you know, my ovaries or uterus or cervix or anything like that, I still have to go to a gynecologist. Most people would look at me and think, he doesn't have to go to a gynecologist. Uh, and also my health record, my electronic health record has me marked as male because I've legally changed my gender marker here. Um, so my insurance, my driver's license, all of my social security, everything is, you know, marks me as male. Well, a lot of our electronic health records have, you know, some automatic things that pop up that flag whenever you are a certain gender in the system, right? So I might not get, you know, the notifications for annual visits that maybe I should be getting uh, because my legal documentation is different than what the system thinks, you know, whatever. So that, those are some general health implications that for a trans patient in particular, that, that makes a difference. And I think, you know, when we're talking about LGBTQ healthcare, there's a real tendency to pigeonhole it, to put it in a box and say, 
you know, and make assumptions, honestly, that like, oh, LGBTQ healthcare, that means I got to talk about HIV. Um, well, you know, yeah, that, that's important. Yes, please do. But there are a lot of other issues that affect LGBTQ people, some of which affect people who are non-LGBTQ, and some of which are unique to our community. We need to be having these conversations across the board with all patients, normalizing these conversations and sort of dispelling the myths that this is, you know, healthcare that happens in one area by one type of doctor in maybe one particular building, right? This is for all of us. Apoor, what are you listening to this from through the lens of a provider? What are you thinking about this? Are there things that you think that, you know, and now you work as a consultant, are there things that when you're listening to somebody who's lived this experience and thinking of the work that you do, are there things that you think, oh my gosh, I could do this, or maybe we can improve here or there? Yeah, I think it's such a great question. As Chase is talking, I'm thinking of several things. One is that I, I didn't really get trained adequately enough to deal with any of this uh, back in medical school and residency, as we were talking about. So I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about how training might be changing. That's one thing on the on the practitioner side. On the management side, I think I find what you're saying fascinating because it is about the basics. If we don't get the, the designation right in the system, uh, then you know uh, ultimately it, it'll be a box that's being checked, but that triggers a whole bunch of wrong uh, decisions and conclusions. Uh, it generates wrong data also, it generates wrong outcomes for us. And so the whole premise on which why we, we are trying to improve documentation, you know, kind of really falls apart right, right from that beginning, which is why, Chase, I appreciate that you said it's really about the foundations and the basics that we've got to get it right. So is it about maybe changing the electronic medical record? Uh, or is it about training people to put the right thing into the record or, or both? So maybe, maybe the common thread there is training. Can you comment mm -hmm. a little bit on mm -hmm. how goes the training of your, of your staff? Yeah. Well, that's that's a big piece of what I'm going to be focused on, um, because, you know, more than anything, we don't want to set our, you know, our care team members up for failure. Right. We want to set everyone up for success. We want to equip them with the right information and training to be able to do their jobs, not be put in a position where they don't feel like they were given the tools to do what they need to do. Um, so training is, is hugely important. You know, here at MUSC, we are in an exciting engagement with the Fenway Institute, which is considered the premier uh, provider of the LGBTQ cultural competency training. And, you know, we, I'll be totally honest, right now we are not collecting sexual orientation and gender identity data within our, our health records. Um, and so, but we've committed that before we turn that on, which hopefully will be soon, sooner rather than later, but before we turn that on, we are going to roll out training across the board for all care team members who are interacting with patients. We want everyone to have the tools and knowledge, the, the, the ability to access that information, to feel like they're ready to have those conversations. And then also key to that is updating processes because you can have all the information, but if you aren't sure about how to use that and how that actually works in practical situations, I keep kind of going back to the trans community and forgive me for that. I, I don't mean to discount, you know, other parts of the LGBTQ community, but, you know, an example for a trans person might be that maybe their legal records don't match um, the name they use or the pronouns they use and the gender that they identify as. So you have a situation where someone shows up for their appointment 
and they, the person at the front desk calls them the wrong name or refers to them uh, with the incorrect pronouns. Now this becomes a really uncomfortable situation, right? So we wanna make sure that person at the front desk knows how to recover from that. Quick apology, we're gonna get it right. But you know what, now that information and that message has to go over the wall into the clinic where that nurse is gonna come out into the waiting room and maybe five minutes later, and we want to make sure they call them by the right name and the right pronouns and they get it right. So you're not having this repeat sort of traumatic experience for the person who's come in, in to see the doctor. Because we know that in general, LGBTQ folks um, are at risk for delaying and, and potentially foregoing healthcare altogether because of fear of discrimination or you know just the historical discrimination the community has experienced within healthcare settings. So when they have experiences like that, it can reinforce the fear and the anxiety that patient may already have. And I've heard about patients just walking out, like having just that, that experience in that moment being too much for them. Just saying, I, I can't do this. I can't continue to out myself and continue to you know be in a waiting room where I very clearly present as one thing, and then I'm called, and now I have to walk across that waiting waiting room, waiting, you know, and, and acknowledging that I'm trans, basically to everyone who's sitting there. To your um, point about going to the gynecologist. Right, exactly. And that's exactly what happened to me uh, when I went to the gynecologist once, was they hadn't quite matched up my records. And so they call, you know, I'm sitting out in the waiting room looking like this, uh, which is awkward enough. Um, and then they walk out and they call Ms. Glenn and I have to stand up and walk across the room. That's why it goes back to process and why that's really important to establish how we have these conversations. How are we doing this in a way that, that isn't you know, potentially outing them or sharing their information really publicly? So process is probably just as important, honestly, as training. So that pronoun thing actually is really hitting me many times as we're talking, Chase. Uh, are the EMRs even set up for that? Are people really, you know, trained for that? You know, can they, can they accept the right pronouns? Are they set up even the right way? Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about how important that is to get right. Yeah. Well, I can't speak for every platform that's out there, but I know the, the system that MUSC uses has the capability to collect pronouns that are you know, potentially different, shows it on the side of the page, storyboard that's the most visible thing that when a you know, clinician is, is looking at the screen, they're able to see very clearly if a person has, a, has what we would say a preferred name, which that term is a little problematic, but a name that they go by that may not be their legal name, that can be very prominently displayed. Their pronouns can be displayed. So it's a, it's a visual cue to whoever is having that interaction with the patient that, okay, I need to be aware that this person may use a pronoun that's different than I'm assuming they would use. Um, so yeah, a lot of systems have that ability to document, but again, comes back to training and being comfortable with having those conversations and how we you know, navigate that. So using, I mean, you have a, a really unique experience because you're living life as a trans person. You previously worked at a nonprofit that dealt with the LGBTQ plus community. And now you're in a medical setting in this brand new role, trying to tackle all of these new challenges. So what are those things that like, okay, we've got to get this right. This has to happen. What are those things that matter to you, both as somebody working at this medical facility and somebody who's experiencing this through the lens of a member of the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah. Well, I think 
you know, from sort of a high level view, uh, what I like to do is fall back on the values of at least our institution, which include respect and compassion and integrity. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter your political beliefs or whatever, um, you know, it's not a political issue. It's about respect. It's about health equity. It's about making space for all people and treating people and with the respect they deserve and being able to, um, you know, honor how they identify and, and who they are. So I always try to fall back on those values and say, this is what we're living into. And that is why we're doing this. Um, and I think that speaks to both the patient and the provider, hopefully, right? Because if a patient sees that as an institution's values, sees that on their website, see, you know, sees that communicated in multiple places and believes it and then experiences it, that's the connection. Hopefully the provider is also like, you know what, I believe in this. This is truly how I feel and what I'm living into as an individual provider. And, um, and that informs how I interact with my patients. So that, that's, that's what goes with that. But then again, just really practical if we're talking about nuts and bolts, you know, basic information that we wanna see included when talking to patients. We want all patients to be given the opportunity, not just LGBTQ patients, but all patients to be given the opportunity to identify themselves. They don't have to, but they can, you know, they can opt out, but identify their sexual orientation, their gender identity, which is how they understand their, their personal gender and sex assigned at birth, which is important because it's a flag we talked about um, you know, my personal health record being, you know, you know, before I had my legal gender marker change, there were differing things there, right? It's how I understood my gender being one thing, male, and then my sex assigned at birth was female. And so then there's biological, you know, you know, implications to that. You mentioned values. And, um, and what I'm wondering is, is two things related to values. When you orient people back to values, does it help them? And does it ultimately help them bridge the challenge that they're facing? Uh, that's one part of the question. The second related part of that is, does the reverting to values sometimes somehow can create more conflict as well? Because that's where their political ideological values conflict with you know, with the values uh, that they, they, uh, the, uh, um, the institution is espousing. So mm. I'd love to understand a little bit more of where, how, how helpful that discussion around values is in this context. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know in uh, 12 months um, <laughs> how, how it goes, but I really do think it is beneficial because hopefully, I mean, I can't speak for every institution and the values that they've, you know, uh, set up for themselves. When I think about MUSC, the values are pretty clear. They're pretty high level, to be totally honest. And respect and compassion, integrity, and you know, we go beyond that with innovation and, and others. You know, those sorts of things. I would hope supersede. You know, maybe your personal beliefs, your personal political, you know, leanings. Um, I really do come from a place where I try to find the most common ground as possible with folks. I don't come in as a combative person and say, you got to do this. This is the right thing to do. Get it right. Um, but let's find the common ground we have. And I would believe and hope that the majority of people who do this work, the majority of people who are, you know, in this, in this sort of setting, doing it because they care about people. They want the best for people. And so 
I'm going to lean into hope <laughs> that for the majority of people, they're able to put some of that aside and say, you know what? It's about respect and it's about compassion. It's about integrity. It's about being, you know, the caring play, people that we are and creating caring and welcoming spaces for everyone. Um, I, I believe in hope. From everything we've always heard from everyone we've talked to at MUSD, it's been that there's a unique level of support for these different ideas, really living the changing what's possible. And so what about that excites you and what you're doing? And, you know, where do you hope you're going to be in a year from now? I just feel really grateful for the leadership that we have. Um, You know, I report up to the chief equity officer and she's an amazing leader. And then beyond that, you know, Dr. Zoss and Dr. Colley and Dr. Cole, they all speak at a visionary level of saying, not just like, yeah, this is where we are, but here's where we want to go. You know, um, you know, our upcoming strategic plan that we're working on right now has this tagline of one MUSC. And that really is about coming together, kind of what we were just talking about, coming together behind our, you know, our shared values, our shared mission, and believing that we can make a difference, that we can create change, that we can, you know, improve our quality of care, not just in Charleston, South Carolina, but for the whole state. We are an enterprise now that includes facilities across the state of South Carolina. And I believe that my position was created and I was hired because there is this vision to be a leader in this state, in this area of, of care. And um, I'm hopeful. Our, our leadership is strong and, and I'm excited to be a part of this. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for sharing all of these really important things that probably a lot of people don't know about or haven't thought about. I think it was a really great conversation. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. I think it's going to bring a lot of hope to our audience as well. Such a wonderful message, Chase. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.